Good day, friends. Welcome to the Books That Shall Not Be Named podcast, where we explore the world of Second Temple Judaism, some extra-biblical texts, and ask the question, why do these things matter, and how do they connect to our New Testament? I'm so glad you're here. My name is Daniel Geisen, and I will be your host on our little adventures together. I currently teach biblical studies in Cincinnati, Ohio, and one of the things I've discovered over the past few years is that people tend to have a deep curiosity about what happened after the Old Testament. Uh, Most people think, well, then the Gospel of Matthew is written. And you would be forgiven for thinking that, but really we have about a gap of at least 400 years uh, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So what I, like I said, what I've discovered is that people are deeply curious about what happened in those 400 years. In fact, it's gotten such a reputation that some people called it the 400 years of silence with the assumption that God was not speaking during that time. Uh, other people have gone on to call it the intertestamental period. Uh, for our purposes on this podcast, though, and just to follow the academy as it were, We're going to call this the Second Temple Period, and the reason we're going to call this the Second Temple Period is the reason I give my students. If there is a Second Temple, that obviously means there was a First Temple. So really to launch our discussion today, I just want to frame for you what this period is, and then we're going to jump into asking the question, why should we even bother with texts outside of the Bible? So first things first, the second temple period. The first temple for the Israelites was built by a guy named Solomon. Uh, This was a long anticipated project that even his father David wanted complete. And Solomon is ultimately going to get the credit for this construction. God was pleased to dwell in this temple. It was uh, quite the magnificent building. And it really constituted a landmark for the Jewish people. Uh, For us in the United States, we tend to think of uh, buildings like the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Capitol Building, so on and so forth as significant landmarks for us. We might even think of the Statue of Liberty. But for the Jewish people, uh, the epitome of their culture was located in the temple. And the main reason being is this wasn't just a political building. More than anything, this is where the presence of God was pleased to dwell. So that is going to be the significance of this first temple. Well, we run into a conflict in the story. And if you know your Old Testament at all, you know that the Jewish people are not going to remain faithful to the covenant. And just as Deuteronomy 28 uh, promised, we see that the Jewish people break the covenant and they choose exile instead of stability. They choose death instead of life. So God hands them over to the consequences of their choices and they go into exile. And the beginning of their exile is not a foreign country taking them away. The beginning of their exile is actually the glory of God leaving the temple. That's what signifies that they are no longer where they should be. If you were to go to Ezekiel chapter 10, you would see right away that this marks the beginning of Israel's downfall and their ensuing exile. 
So that's really the name of the game here. Uh, the first temple, as a result, is destroyed. Uh, it becomes just a building of, well, for lack of a better term, wood. And this wooden structure gets destroyed by the Babylonians because the presence of God is not there. Uh, there's really no significance to it anymore. So it gets destroyed along with the city of Jerusalem. The Jewish people are in exile. And when they are allowed to come back to the promised land, uh, there's a project in the book of Ezra to construct a second temple. And thus, we have the beginning of our period. The second temple period in Judaism begins... Uh, when this second temple is constructed. What we ultimately want to ask, though, is, okay, is Israel really out of exile, though? Because what I suggested to you earlier is that their exile began when the presence of God, the glory of Yahweh, left the temple. But when this second temple is built, does the glory of God return? And that's the question the Jewish people are going to wrestle with from the time of Ezra all the way up until the time of Jesus' ministry. And thus, we're going to talk about that time period in this podcast. Um, I assume you have landed here because I either sent you an email blast and you're nice enough to uh, give this a try, or you're deeply curious and you want to enrich your reading of the Bible, perhaps you're even a lay leader or a pastor who wants to uh, communicate their understanding of the gospel and the New Testament with depth, uh, regardless of who you are and what your reasons are, uh, one, I'm glad you're here. And two, I hope that this can be a place of interaction uh, to where I can hopefully bring some things to light that, one, I've been taught, and two, I've spent a considerable amount of time researching myself. Um, and I just want to point one more thing out to you. You might be thinking, oh man, how did I not know there is this thing called the second temple period or the intertestamental period? Uh, I feel like I should know about this. And I want to just put your mind at ease right here and right now. Uh, my goal is to put your mind at ease because I didn't learn about this until grad school. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I feel like one of the downfalls of my undergraduate degree from a Bible college was that I didn't learn about this second temple period, at least not in any depth. In fact, I really didn't have any words to put to it. All I knew is that, well, the end of the Old Testament uh, kind of fell off a cliff and then we waited for the New Testament. And that's about the extent of it that I knew. So I just want to put your mind at ease. There, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not missing anything. Um, but I hope that by looking at this with me, uh, you have a deeper appreciation, especially for the world of Jesus' ministry and for the rise of the early church in our New Testament. So uh, why in the world did I choose to call this podcast Books That Shall Not Be Named? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because... I've called this uh, Books That Shall Not Be Named based off of my own experience. I grew up in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, and one of the things that uh, I did in my early years is I went to a private school for high school. Uh, it was a religious school, and they had a Bible that contained more books 
in its canon uh, than the non-denominational church I ended up going to during my high school years. Uh, the non-denominational church only had 66 books in their Bible, which is pretty standard across most churches these days. But then this school where I attended had a Bible with more. And I was deeply curious about these books. And in fact, when I went to my non-denominational church and I said, hey, uh, who's heard of First and Second Maccabees? And then it felt like people were hissing at me like I just say, said the name Voldemort. And thus, uh, if you read the Harry Potter novels, you know that Voldemort is the name that shall not be named. And in the same way, it kind of felt like I was saying the names of books that shall not be named. Uh, and just to give you a little heads up, First and Second Maccabees are Second Temple Jewish books. And thus, the name of this podcast. So I hope that little tongue-in-cheek title uh, resonates with you and kind of gives you a glimpse into uh, what we're going to be doing here. I do want to just give you a heads up that this is not heresy. Um, this is primarily how I'm going to look at it, just a means to an end of understanding history. And I hope that you can walk away uh, with a deeper appreciation for the context of the New Testament, some of the aims, some of the expectations, um, and just to clarify those things. I hope that becomes abundantly clear during our time together. So the last thing I want to do today, this is episode 00, and we are going to uh, just give a sneak preview as to why we even bother with texts outside of the Bible. So first and foremost, one of the biggest pieces of pushback I get from my students is, Hey, um, you know, I really appreciate that you want to form context, but shouldn't we know our Bibles first and then come to look at this? And there's a degree to which those students are right. We should know our Bible. The problem is we live in a vastly different context than the world of the Bible in a vastly different time. We have different expectations, different language that we place to our relationship with God than the first century Jewish people and the early church. So one of the things that I have found to be incredibly helpful is let's go over some of the context just so when we read it, we have a three-dimensional understanding and it's not just flat. So let's answer that question today. Why bother with texts outside of the Bible? I'm going to go to John chapter 10 and give you a crystal clear example of why this matters. And if you are a person that's got their Bible with them or got their phone, I'm going to be in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. So if you'll join me, I am reading the New English Translation, the Net Bible, if you'd like to follow along very specifically with what I'm doing. <clears throat> Here we go, verse 22. Then came the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is the verse I, I ultimately want to read today, and I'm going to read one more. Uh, the feast of the dedication. So one of the things I do with my students is I say, okay, let's talk about the Second Temple period and why it's important. I read this verse, and they say, okay, so why does that mean I should read books like First and Second Maccabees, Josephus, the Dead Sea Scrolls? Um, because shouldn't I just be able to go to Leviticus or the end of Exodus and look up this feast? And I say, okay, go ahead and look. And after a few moments of them trying to peel through their Bibles, 
they can't find anything. There is no feast of the dedication in the Old Testament. And here's the thing. You might even say, I've got a little pushback for you. What if this is a compulsory feast that the Romans forced on the Jewish people? And clever as that thought may be, uh, that's still incorrect. Because the feast of the dedication is something that occurs in the years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. And in very simple terms, the Feast of the Dedication, ready for it? This is Hanukkah. And Jesus, in verse 23, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple area in Solomon's portico. The Jewish leaders surrounded him and asked, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ or the Messiah, tell us straight. Just tell us. And that's what we get here. So there's some type of connection between this feast and messianic expectation. So what I want to do for you very briefly today is just connect some dots. Um, What is this feast as a broad overview? And why might it sharpen our understanding of John chapter 10? Well, here's what you got with the story of Hanukkah. We're not going to look at really the modern celebration of it. We're just going to look at it as a historical event that occurs in, um, you guessed it, First Maccabees. It actually happened in First Maccabees chapter 4, verses 41 to 61. I'm not going to read this today, but I will provide a link in the show notes if you would like to check it out later. Uh, but let me sum up this story for you. In the year 167 BC, so way before the time of Jesus and his ministry, uh, we have this picture of pagan empires once again ruling over the Jewish people. So if that tells you anything about whether or not the presence of God is in the temple, um, that should make things abundantly clear to you. Well, the pagan nation that is in charge of Israel at this point is an empire called the Seleucid Empire. This would be in like modern day Syria. And they are going to be the result of Alexander the Great's failed uh, Macedonian Empire. The Macedonian Empire fractured in the the 300s BC four ways. And one of those four ways it fractured was the Seleucid Empire to the north of Israel. Well, the guy leading the Seleucid Empire, his name uh, that he gave to himself, go figure, is Antiochus Epiphanes. A very humble guy who basically is calling himself Antiochus the Blessed. Well, Antiochus the Blessed decides one day that he's going to be ambitious like, uh, like the guy who came way before him, Alexander the Great. He decides that he is going to try and conquer more of the world than he already had. And his first, uh, his first goal was to conquer Egypt to the south. So he starts marching with his men down to Egypt, and wouldn't you know, he has to pass through Israel. Antiochus has no concept for what the Jewish people believe or practice, so he simply thinks, I'm just going to make people worship me, offer a sacrifice to me, and I'll just move on down to Egypt. Problem. The Jewish people are notoriously opposed to any form of paganism or anything that deviates their commitment to the God of Israel and their strict monotheism. 
Antiochus doesn't know this, so when they reject his request to worship him, he decides he's going to do something incredibly offensive to them. And this kickstarts uh, this leading towards the celebration of Hanukkah. What he does is probably the most offensive thing in the ancient world that one could do to a Jewish community. And this is what he does. He walks into the temple, strike one. He walks into the Holy of Holies, strike two. And then strike three and four. He builds an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies and sacrifices a pig on it. Um, talk about something that is deeply, deeply offensive and wounding to the Jewish people. This is what Antiochus does. So that is precisely what kickstarts uh, anger on behalf of the Jewish people towards Antiochus and the Seleucids. <clears throat> Anyways, Antiochus moves on, and for three years he kind of leaves his Seleucid, uh, his Seleucid henchmen in Israel to kind of oversee things. And he tries and tries but fails to conquer Egypt. In anger, he marches back and he torments the Jewish people. By the way, I will talk more about this in a future podcast in much more detail. But for now, uh, it's suffice to say uh, the Jewish people are angry. Antiochus is taking out his anger on the Jewish people and tormenting them and a guy named Judas Maccabeus says enough is enough. His nickname is the hammer, by the way. And the hammer decides that he's going to launch some guerrilla warfare and take back the temple from the Seleucids. Well, he does this. They overtake the Seleucids. They reclaim the temple. And then here you have it. They re they cleanse and rededicate the temple to Yahweh. And that's where you get the Feast of the Dedication. Now, there's a lot more detail to this. Uh, you're probably wondering about the menorah, things like that. Uh, we can talk about that on a future podcast as well. But, but here's what you get in the flavor of the whole situation in John chapter 10. Judas Maccabeus is notoriously this military uh, buff man who goes in and kicks pagan butt. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus happens to be there. Um, and it seems like he might even be participating in some of the festivities or at least observing them. And as he's observing them, the Jewish leaders surround him and they prod him and they ask, Hey, are you the Messiah, Jesus? And what do you think they're thinking? They're probably thinking, Jesus, if you are the Messiah, are you ready to kick some Roman butt and establish God's worldwide kingdom? And then, of course, if you know the story, Jesus has a completely subversive and alternate way of doing this uh, that's not like a military superpower, but self-sacrificial love that leads to conquering the world. So there you have it, folks. That's just a sneak preview of why this context matters. And you can see where the Jewish leaders were coming from. They wanted to see that Jesus uh, was ready to brandish the sword and ready to do some uh, Roman butt kicking, so on and so forth, right? And that is going to be the center of the conflict. Um, and I hope 
that this kind of gives you a good preview as to why uh, we benefit from reading these things. And more than anything, I just want to show you, uh, this is hardly the only instance in the New Testament, but it's certainly one where the author expects you to know this stuff. Uh, the author expects you and I to be aware of this history for, of things like Hanukkah. There's even in the book of Jude a quotation of what we would call an apocryphal or extra-biblical book called First Enoch, right? The authors assume we know things that often we do not. So I hope in this podcast to form, form a bridge from those texts to our New Testament and say why they matter. So, hey, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 00. I can't wait to do more of this journey with you. Stay tuned for more. And next time we will begin uh, with the story of a guy named Josephus. See you all next time.